We're live. Welcome to the Sprocket Podcast, where we are simplifying the good life. I'm Guthrie Straw. And I'm Aaron Flores, broadcasting from the People's Republic of Portland, nestled in the heart of Cascadia. We are the show that brings you somewhat irreverent conversations about the intricacies of thinking locally with a global perspective and enjoying the best that life has to offer along the way. Ah, including this raspberry harvest kombucha from Lionheart. Ah, it's delicious. Thank you. It was so good we said it before the intro was done. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad. That's how you know it's a good one. Yeah, well, I haven't (laughs) had raspberry harvest in a long time. Well, you know what I've got right here beside me, Aaron? Another raspberry harvest. That's right. They're so good. I got two this week. <laughs> um, well, well, I guess we'll get it out of the way. Thanks to the beer mongers <laughs> for supporting the show each week, uh, as well as our generous listeners and Patreon supporters. Um, before we do beers, maybe let's do a guest intro, and then hey, that's a good idea. our guests can introduce their beers and or beverages. Um, so we've got Eric and Paula. Thank you both so much for joining us. Hello, hello. Thanks, Thanks. for having us. Yes. Eric and Paula uh, recently got done doing a bicycle adventure in Idaho. So we're going to catch up uh, with those in just a few minutes. Um, what are you two drinking tonight? Well, I have one of the tastiest beers I've ever had. So thank you for that. A pirate rum barrel aged coconut stout. Which sounds like a lot, and it is, but it's delicious. I have a steelhead root beer, handcrafted root beer made with pure vanilla and honey. Yum. It's awesome. Yeah, how is it? I very, have... very good. Okay. I need to try Smooth. both of those because I haven't I haven't tried them before. It's been a long time on the raspberry. So Paula I... knows her root beers. Yeah. <laughs> she does. It's a pro. <laughs> we should we should definitely chat some root beers uh, further in, in the show. Uh, before we get to uh, talking about Idaho. I'm curious, Aaron, how has your week been? Um, not too bad. That's better still... than bad. Good. That's good. <laughs> no, it's been it's been all right. Uh, still transiting. I'm I'm gaining more and more respect for our wonderful TriMet drivers here yeah. in the city. What's been your your favorite interaction this week? Um I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's my favorite in that it sticks out. It's not necessarily like like one that like that shows everybody all happy or anything other than oh. like, oh, that's very interesting that that okay. happened. Um, Transit experiences can be like that sometimes. I thought the wrong train was on the wrong tracks or, yeah, yeah. Um, a, what should be southbound train was, um, no, sorry. What should be a northbound train was on southbound tracks. Oh, okay. And... At least that's what the display said was like going to the airport. Did you We're get like, the? You are on the wrong tracks for the airport. Did you have a and, case of the freight train blues? Um, I had a case of. Should I not get on this train? And then possibly miss the train that I needed to get on, or should I get on this train thinking that like, oh, maybe they just forgot to change the display over. And so. <laughs> You know, the, so the way our, our uh, light rail trains are designed, like there really can't be any real interaction between uh, the operators and, and the passengers. But in the meantime, like from the outside, there is a window. So like, you know, I kind of waved at him and I pointed up like, hey, it says airport. Oh, and, okay. And he just went, like gave me a thumbs up and a, and a wink. 
and then like just push a button and you know it said to the correct destination Boom. oh all right so you were on the right tracks so i uh <clears throat> that's one of the things i guess that doesn't hop- happen automatically uh no i guess not okay or if it if it does it it missed whatever Oh, whatever yeah. interchange it needed. Good point. Like, there's probably a manual override or something like that. I've had that happen on buses before, where you know you'll ride a stop or two, and they'll definitely. be like, "Oh, yep, no, it's a different different line." And that one definitely um, seems to be more manual. Okay. Um, yeah, the displays on the buses. Anyway, I like to pretend that it's like the night bus in Harry Potter, and it you know just magically changes or morphs, <laughs> like. You're I in a time say, capsule, it's Schrodinger's train. Speaking of night bus, though. Okay. The buses at night, the newer ones anyways, like, they've got, like, this mood lighting action Ooh. going on. Like, like I got into one, and it was, like, all, like, like this calm blue light. It was, like, really nice. I got into one, actually, I Instagrammed it some time ago. It was, like, this red light. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm really digging what they're doing with the uh, the new buses, sort of. I don't know if... Maybe it's uh, like a, a a low low key social engineering. Yeah, one has you know? to wonder <laughs> just but, to keep everyone calm. Right, right, exactly. But you know, I'm liking it. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe so do, it's working. Do you like it enough to uh, keep going on the bus when your bike is ready again? Um, I will pursue it more as an option when conditions are are. Similar to what caused mm. me to fall. <laughs> Which could be yeah. this week. Which theoretically. Yeah, yes. Theoretically. Tomorrow, yeah. Theoretically. That's what they keep saying. But yeah. go snow. <laughs> my my rule is to not check the weather report because historically whenever I check it, it doesn't do it doesn't the thing happen. that you want it to do. So I've just been like surviving on the the fumes and uh hopes and its aspirations of other people who want it to snow tomorrow. I I want it to snow. I don't want it to not snow. I want it to like mm. do the whole nine yards. If it's going to snow, I want like four or five inches, which it's predicting. It's not going to be even close. Yeah. But I don't want like just a little dust and then it just melt off. Yeah. You want, you want the full meal deal. I want the full deal. Yes. No snow teas, huh? No. Well, we could, we could take a um, shuttle up to Mount Hood to get our <laughs> fills worth. Uh, as as we can't bike up there well, right now, <laughs> right? If, if the uh, if the doctor says I can start, you know, working out my shoulder a little bit more, I'll take you up on that, and we'll take the Pugsley out. Sweet. Well, yeah. there's a couple of feet of snow where I'm from right now, so oh yeah, it kind of <laughs> just keeps coming and coming and coming, whether you want it to or not. Mm-hmm. How many feet currently? I think there's a couple feet on the ground. Just two. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. What part? Uh, northern Idaho. Oh, okay. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Nice. So, yeah, it's been been pretty snowy there lately. Yeah, I saw, like, for Hood, they had predicted, like, a five- or six-foot snowpack over the weekend. Wow. I don't I don't know what they got. Um, but the Coeur d'Alene, I think that's, like, just about how we're doing in eastern Oregon as well, or similarly, at least, back, back on the cold side of mm-hmm. the U.S. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is cold here, we, but it's relatively cold. We get it cold. a little too cushy, don't we? Yeah. I don't know. I was... <laughs> I've been biking around. That's that's like this week. I've been biking like quite a bit, just trying to get out and um, like catch the light and that kind of jazz. And I, we had that hailstorm yesterday, and I got caught out in it, and that was oh, actually really? pretty fun. Um, was, was that part of the Corvette ride? Uh, I noticed you made that yesterday. Oh, oh, 
Did they post photos? Yeah, they did. Okay. Was I was like, I didn't have my phone with me on that ride. Uh, yeah, I, that was, it was kind of both. It was just one of those Portland things where like I ran into like four or five, like I, I, you go like months or, you know, weeks without seeing people and then like kind of like bowling pins or something like that. You're like, oh, that's this person who I know from this part of the bike world. Yeah. And like, it just kind of happened that I was having a day like that. And okay. uh, I was reading on our porch and I heard these like bells and I looked down and it's Lex and Soleil and the crew with um, the Corvidae, you know, bike club ride uh, going by our house. And so oh, awesome. I uh, had, you know, I was wearing my shorts and my jacket. Oh my and God. I went and I grabbed this my is keys. This like bike achievement unlocked. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Totally. Do an imp- bike fun impromptu bike like, fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like at home and, and join in a ride that, that goes by your house mm-hmm. only in portland man yeah, <laughs> yeah. well it was great because usually like you can check that off on your portland <laughs> yeah. experience okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> i i don't know i'm trying to think of it if that's happened before like i lucked out in the sense that i live on a bike boulevard so right. i've had opportunity to before but not in january i would say it's a bit bit rarer if it's not like pedal blues at time right um no it was great i went and caught them at their uh stop at a corner store a few blocks down and rode the rest of the ride uh we was is what's really nice about the um sunday ride is it's uh no drop and it's very mellow and so we had about maybe 15 to 25 people right on and uh just kind of meandered our way throughout northeast ended up at overlook park uh which i haven't been to in like two and a half or maybe even three years since the no hand olympics was put on there yeah uh, for a pedal palooza which I hope they do it again this year because that's a really fun ride. Um, but yeah, just just hung out and um, it turned out that like several members of the Corvidae Bike Club are um, former residents of a place that I know pretty well on the East Coast, and so it was it was, it was a total small world afternoon where yeah. it's like you know this place is like yeah hey we we both know this place. Uh, what is the Corvidae Bike Club? The Corvidae Bike Club is a um a, a bike club that rides here in Portland. Uh, it's sort of like a um like welcoming informal social group if you will um i don't i don't know if i don't know anything that i could compare them to because they are kind of uniquely themselves in a way um but it was put together about to my knowledge three or four years ago uh and they put on group rides every second sunday and then some of the members do their own rides that are on a recurring basis as well um social kind of ride yeah social yeah, ride very mm-hmm. social pace mm-hmm. yeah nice and and very much focused on um helping newcomers to the scene and anybody who might have a bit of trepidation about hopping on that type of thing mm-hmm. uh make it from start to finish in All a very right. like welcoming manner nice. so um they're just I, actually that is how i describe them is they're just looking to grow yeah, i think you just did yeah, right <laughs> they're look, looking to grow the bike scene <laughs> and uh be a welcoming environment for all mm-hmm. all right that's how i describe them much uh, needed yeah totally well we, we we can use it anywhere we can get it for sure <laughs> um yeah so that that was my weekend and uh i don't know been reading some books and working on this or that so uh it's been nice to be back in portland because i was traveling a lot during the holidays and it feels really good to be biking again right on i can tell you being away from portland for as long as i have now this is a great city i miss it a lot so how long did you live in portland Oh, 15 years. Okay. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Left uh, several years ago and took a little detour to Panama for a little while and then Chicago for a little while and sort of landed in Northern Idaho 
somehow. Don't ask me how. <laughs> just sort of worked out that way, man. Yeah. Um, and uh, but Portland's really where my heart is, so it's kind of hard to come back and know what I'm missing. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I hear that. You know, you go other places and you know realize what home is like. I heard the other day someone said, home is where the water tastes normal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It got me thinking. Good sense, yeah. Well, I guess to me, the uh, Bull Run watershed water pretty much tastes like home. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> um, how long have you lived in Coeur d'Alene then? Oh, it's been a little over a year, year and a half. Okay, yep. right on. I'm just thinking like the timeline of of sort of the portland bike scene Mm. and what that was like while you were here and how much has changed or hasn't changed i don't know well it's hard to say i i i guess i feel like the scene has always been here maybe evolving changing Mm -hmm. you know it's good to hear about clubs that are are forming and evolving to to try and include more people i think you know that's been kind of the moniker associated with the cycling community for a long time is just the elitist sort of feeling and I'm, I'm really relieved to hear that that's still a part of the portland scene you know being welcoming and open to people learning wanting to discover new stuff but uh i think you know being away from it for a while and now coming back is uh is refreshing it's just nice to see that there's people involved you know paula doing plant by bike um, Corvide clubs, things like that, that are in full swing and really doing well, is is refreshing because yeah. most other places that just doesn't exist at all, mm. much less in in the in the way that it does here. So appreciate it for what it is because it doesn't <laughs> exist everywhere. Right on, right on. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think uh, especially like the longer one lives in Portland, the the nicer it is to have those reminders that for sure it is very unique mm-hmm. uh, in, in the ways that it is is good and fun. Um, one thing that I noticed that we share in similarity now to Idaho is the Idaho stop law. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. And so this week was like the first time that I was biking around and just like looking left and right at stop signs and then riding right through them. With a smile on your it face. It was great. <laughs> that was, that's actually like, I think it's contributed. I, I, I couldn't give you like an arbitrary percentage of how much more I've ridden this week as compared to weeks prior. I can tell you that stop law has made a big like increase in how much I feel like riding and at least for this week, how much I got That's out. Great. Um, cause you can, you don't have to take the arterials as much. Um, so usually I'll ride, I won't usually ride MLK, but I'll ride some of the bigger streets cause it's, you know, A to B type thing. Um, but I've noticed particularly, oh yeah, Aaron, Aaron hasn't gotten to experience the joy of the stop law yet. You'll, <laughs> you'll get there. I'm sorry. I was just going to ask you, like, how, how do you feel about it? Uh, I mean, I still have feelings about it. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I, mean, I think it's a great idea. Well, I've, I've noticed you can take um, some of the bikeways. You can take just kind of like any street now. It, it feels kind of night and day to me, to be honest. Um, and you don't nearly slow down as much for taking that side street as you would for like a main one. I'm not sure. Have you had... Um, sort of like, what's your perception, Ben, cycling around this week, Paula? Um, I guess it really hasn't changed a lot. Okay. Because I'll, I mean, I always kind of slow and, and constantly look. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of issues I've seen on greenways is people presume that everything's controlled. So if if it's like, if they come to a stop sign, they think it's a four-way. And that's, so I've had people do that. And then uncontrolled are theoretically four-way stops, but... People just, if there's no sign or anything, they just blow through. Run right so, through it. Yeah. 
So, but it just is less stressful to have to think about the fact that you're not absolutely stopping and mm-hmm. just keep going. Maybe so I. It's been nice. Yeah, I I think like some of it for me is like I have a like just a small like fear of authority or something like that. Right, like, you're right. Just, like the fear of the unknown. And I think for me, it's like it's mental as much as it's physical being able to ride through because riding through and knowing that like, oh, this is like totally legal right. is a relief. I'm <laughs> not right, a right. scofflaw anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and like nobody's really um, I had expected to have like for, for the, you know, the rate of occurrence that one goes through um, exchanges and, you know, maybe you're you're yielding to a driver or you're um, riding in front of a driver. Like I honestly would have expected to have somebody like not understand the law and like honk at me by now uh but it also hasn't happened so i'm not sure if it's like the awareness campaign or folks are just like ah, eh, they run it anyway right? yeah. uh, maybe right? some of both but i've just i don't know i'm pleased as a peach january feels like a whole new year i think there has been um some kind of awareness campaign or, or there's definitely been more awareness around this law specifically and maybe because i mean bicycle law at least in Portland, doesn't change a whole lot from time to time. Um, and so maybe it's because, you know, this not only is kind of a big change, but just a change in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I certainly had a lot more conversations about this specific law over anything else from people who, like, really it's it's not on their radar normally. You okay. Know? Did Was they it... have any reaction to that? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'll I'll chalk it up to perception. Um, in that you know, if you're used, if you're used to um, seeing things through a very specific lens, through a very car centric sort of uh, automobile first lens, regardless of whether or not that's actually true. Um, it's easy to put emotion before facts. <clears throat> and yeah, I've had those conversations where like, we're like, Oh, so bikes can just run red, red lights whenever they want. Well, of course that's not true. Or bikes can just blow through stop signs whenever they want, which of course we all know that's not true. Um, and some of those have been contentious, but I will say a lot of those have been much less contentious than I anticipated. Mm. And I, I can't imagine that that's completely because people are more open to biking. Maybe it's because people are more open to biking, but I think there might have been some some more awareness driven around that as well. Something uh, that that makes me think about in relation to awareness is we talked with Ray and um, Bjorn, and I hadn't considered like what residual might be contributing to that like expression that you have um, because it's been tried and passed and failed the number of times it has. So I'm wondering if, you know, over the last 10 years, people heard, uh, you know, uh, Idaho stop, Idaho stop, Idaho stop. And so like, instead of it just coming out of nowhere, folks are like, oh, this is that thing that we've heard about like four or five times before. So like they're, they're more, um, they've been like de-stressed about it or something. I'm I'm not (laughs) quite sure. But I wonder, I wonder what effect that has as opposed sure. to if it, Idaho Stop was like proposed and passed just in one legislative cycle. Now, that said, even though the Idaho Stop has 
only been effect here in Portland since, you know, the beginning of the new year. I've been practicing you know, for, yeah. for the Idaho yeah. stuff to be legal. So nice. I've had I've had my experience already. So you've been in training. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would we would never in anticipation. We would never do anything illegal at stop signs. No, but we would not. practice. I wouldn't I wouldn't uh research. I would, that's what yeah, it was. I wouldn't yeah. advise anyone to do that. But yeah, exactly. It's for science. <laughs> well, if we need some more practice we can go up to Washington. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we didn't come here only to talk about Idaho in context of the Idaho Stop Law. Uh, we came to talk about other forms of cycling and adventure as well. Um, Paula and Eric, tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Okay. Well, in prior to September, um, Eric would post amazing trail pictures and riding pictures from Idaho. And, and so kind of planted the seed and eventually we kind of chatted back and forth and I finally made a commitment. Okay, let's set a date and I'll come up and you can show me an adventure in Idaho. And so that's sort of, we set it for September, kind of catch the fall um, before the winter and the cold stuff hits the elevation of Idaho, which is what, 5,000? Quarterlands at twenty two hundred, but twenty two hundred. The peaks around it go up pretty pretty high, yeah. up to six maybe. Yeah. So kind of something I've never, you know, explored and somewhere new, and have a local guide to go about it. So we planned a, a bike pack trip for the the mountains of northern Idaho. Well, uh, you call me a guide, but uh, <laughs> as we found out, I think I was anything but. I sense more in that statement. Oh, somehow. man. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. All right. <laughs> did you do the um, the hot springs route up there, or what no, kind of route did you put together? No, this was a let's just figure out where to go once we right on. get in the saddle and kind of take it, take it that way. Paul and I are both advocates of the idea of exploring by bike. And that's important to both of us to not really have too big of an agenda when we go out and to just kind of see, see where the wheel takes us and, and, um, go that way. Nice. And, and so far I think that's worked out for the most part. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. definitely. I mean, so I, I arrived and, and so we picked up some maps and just kind of to get a general sense of what, what's out there, where are the, the dirt roads and things like that. Um, the, the, I guess the good and bad thing is there aren't sort of pre-scouted routes and stuff for like single track or venturing off the mm. the main road. So as Eric said, we were kind of we had a general idea of where we were going to go, but left it open to kind of explore as opportunity arose. Nice. The the only thing we kept an eye on was where we could uh, re rewater. Okay. So you sort of planned it around the water, water, drop. water access. Mm -hmm. Yep. The good thing about where Coeur d'Alene is situated is it's completely surrounded by national forest. Um, so the Coeur d'Alene National Forest is is right there, you know, literally a stone's throw away from downtown. Um, the Panhandle National Forest is is right there, and so you know, within five minutes riding time, ten minutes driving time to get to three different national forests that extend all the way into Montana and beyond um, is is pretty pretty special in, in terms of where that sits. When you were preparing for this trip, um, 
you know, you, you picked up the map and sort of got the water spots checked out. What was your biggest consideration or what was, was there anything that you were concerned about as you were entering into it as kind of like an unknown or did it feel pretty easy and mellow? Bears. Bears? Okay. <laughs> Tell us a bit more about that. <laughs> that is, that is the thing that's it over is, there. Yeah. 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 Moose tromplings. Mm. Probably mo- moose and then bears. <laughs> that's, that's the order I go into. <laughs> well, the, the moose is kind of a more dangerous creature around there. There's a lot of moose, and um, I, I was on a ride not long before that that was chased down by a moose. So, oh wow, it, it's you know <laughs> can be funny, but until you get smashed by one, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that's always in the back of my mind. I'm kind of being silly about it, but but really. You know, when it's late at night and it's dark and you hear things in the woods um, in northern Idaho, it could be any number of things. So, mm. what is what is some of the things you did to to prepare for that? Like, did you? I can't imagine you carried like bear boxes with you or anything like that. No, but no. you had bear spray. Yeah, I picked up a bear spray. Did some research on what was the best. You know. Yeah. But, would shoot the furthest and broadest, so yeah. I carried that. And then, in terms of uh, food, we would—I um, had uh, paracord, so we would just suspend it because they're all in dry bags. So we just suspend it each night. And you found the dry bags was enough. Yeah. All right. Until it's not. Yeah. <laughs> Until you wake up and you're like, "What's that uh... sound? <laughs> oh, there's a bear in that tree with my back." <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, you know, in terms of animals, it's almost more important to keep them away from your food just for... Just so them you not have the survival. Well, that yeah. also, but, the, you know, don't want the animals to become habituated to, to oh, eating yeah. Yeah. people food, so kind of more worried about them Yeah, in that respect. Definitely. I was um, working on a trail crew down in southern Oregon, and we had a bear that became a problem bear. Mm. It's like when the bear comes back twice, that's when they call the person that right. makes sure the bear doesn't come back. Right. Uh, so I definitely feel you on the food aspect of that, mm-hmm. uh, as unfortunate as it is. Um, how long was the trip itself? Well, we had planned on five days, five days. and it turned into four. four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Because you wrote it so fast. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think it was fast. <laughs> um, it turned into four days, A, first of all, because I skipped the planning process for one meal um, and just ran out of food, more or less. Right um, but the second reason was probably more importantly, we ended up wasting a day or burning a day um, bushwhacking with bicycles for an entire day. Wow. So we kind of lost lost some of that time where we had to kind of bail out um, and make our way home as quick as we could um, because of that. And that that's a whole story into itself, uh, the, <laughs> the bushwhack adventure. It was the adventure in the adventure. Right. Some good type two fun there. Oh, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you look back now and say, oh, that was such good bushwhacking? No. <laughs> no. no. Type, type three then. <laughs> um, when you were doing the trail, did you find yourself navigating via uh, what form most common? Like, was it, were you looking for like little tracks or are you looking for dirt roads or gravel roads or a uh, single track type trail that were animal trails? What what did you find yourself most commonly on? And, and how did you choose 
which to get between. I think we were on all of those. Yeah. Okay. In the end, we 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 hit all of those. Yep. Um, I think how we chose that was based on where we needed to get to. So originally, we had planned a big loop around the Coeur d'Alene National Forest, um, sort of from Coeur d'Alene up into the mountains, and then head north up to um, Lake Pend Oreille, and then back down, um, which is possible to loop together a 500-mile ride if you wanted to. Mm. Um, um, But there's enough Forest Service roads back there that are well-marked and numbered um, that you can really piece together a trip from there going as far as you need to. Um, Well-mapped out roads mm because they have a big kind of backcountry outdoor industry. Okay. Yeah, a lot of OHV users, um, a lot of hunters. It's it's an area that people really utilize the forest. But strangely enough, as much as the bikepacking scene has exploded lately, there just isn't a lot of that in Coeur d'Alene yet. Okay. Um, I don't know why, really. Does Coeur d'Alene have a bike shop? There's a couple bike shops. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. But they're more mountain-oriented, yeah, yeah. I would say. Mm. Um very gravity oriented. Um, not a whole lot of bike packing. I think a lot of that has to do with just the owners of the shops that, you know, they're, they're going to stock and supply what kind of they're into. Mm. Um, and I think they're more into fat biking and gravity mountain biking than bike packing. That's what I can change. Yeah. <laughs> have, have you been in and That's right. We tried. Strike up some conversations <laughs> with the local shop owners. Yeah. yeah. Well, this makes me want to ask, like, what your gear was. Mm. What was your setup? And, and uh, yeah, what well, did you ride? I had the Wednesday. Okay. Um, so, full full front and rear racks, uh, bags, uh, mostly bags, um, tent, and that sort of thing. My, my a, typical adventure bike. Did you use panniers or a frame bag? Uh, frame bags. Um, so, I used the a Surly Porter bag on the front and a... Okay. Petite porter on the rear, um, which worked out okay. I had to shift some things around as we went, uh, sort of alter how the weight was distributed. Um, but in and, general, they're all just frame or fork bags type of thing. And are you sponsored by Surly yet? Can we get that <laughs> set up for you? Uh, You're the most surlyed out person. I'm working I know. on it. <laughs> um, humanoids of Surly. Yeah. Of yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep, yep. Have my uh, make it your own surly T-shirt on. Oh, that's right. To be official. Um, so yeah, so the Wednesday with you know the fat bike, uh, right? On. It's my bike of choice. Um, worked out well. You found it handled the trails all right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're when you're riding, it's it's perfect. When you're pushing and carrying it, it's not so much. They should do a rating on bicycles. You, like there's trail feel, but then there's like p- p- carrying feel or like pull feel. Shouldering ability. Yeah. Like yeah, right. how much does it suck to push this thing? <laughs> One Ten. to five. Yeah, yeah. And Eric, what were you, what were you taking out? Uh, I was on a Surly also, but I had the ECR. Um, right it's a, a 29 inch wheel platform, three inch tires um, that I've found suits me. I'm kind of a big guy and um, I can go f- as fast as I need to on that. Um, or as slow as I need to. It's very stable and can hold a lot. Um, so uh, I took that. And I used, for that, I had soft bags and a front rack. 
24 pack rack that I just like to stash stuff on. Uh, it's a stable way to put stuff up front. For this trip, um, was there anything in comparison to previous trips either of you have taken that you looked to refine or sort of change about your setup? Um, I feel like bikepacking in particular, because you're fighting, you know, weight and bulk so much, um, like folks oftentimes will change up their gear. Was there anything that you were like, oh, the last trip sucked because of this. And so I'm going to do, you know, this differently now. Yeah, well, this time I, I wanted to test a more multi-day with the surly bags just to see how it differed from, I normally just use dry bags and then multiple dry bags, um, I think the the dry bags give me better option to compress things down better. Um, but I think I think they both function okay. It just kind of depends. But yeah, each trip I kind of usually try something different or carry something different. Um, like one, I guess, uh, nicety is is I used a tent, but I brought a hammock rain tarp. Oh, nice. We actually used it one day. Yeah, those are great. For, so it's like, glad glad we had it versus eating breakfast while it's raining. Soaking wet. <laughs> yeah. I, I've kind of refined my, my setup over the years and kind of have it dialed in, except for where specifically everything goes. I kind of play with that a little bit. Um, do I want my stove in the front? You know, more or less, how do I get to it easy enough? Um and distribute the weight properly. Okay. One uh, game I like to play, I do a similar thing where like I pack roughly the same things, but I always pack it differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So a trail game I like to play is called uh, the bag game. And you give yourself a point each time you open a bag that doesn't have the thing (laughs) that you wanted in it. And at the end of the day, you see who has the most points. (laughs) Yep. Uh, or or what if it doesn't exist in your bags at all? <laughs> then you lose the bag game. <laughs> That's game over. <laughs> was that was that the food you're just reaching in? And you're yeah, like, I'm pretty sure there was some there's... some nuts or some raisins in there somewhere. <laughs> Always something. Now I have it, but everything's out of the bags now, and it's nowhere to be found. How much of the travel um, that you two did would you say it was backcountry? Well, after about the first. 12 miles. 12 miles, it was all backcountry, and it gets remote really, really fast. Uh, so from downtown Coeur d'Alene, uh, the National Forest butts right up to it, and depending on your access point, you can be pretty remote, you know, literally miles away from downtown. Um, and for us, we took a sort of paved route to climb to the top um, up a place called Fern and Saddle, um, and then it turns to dirt once you get to the top. Um, but there's really nothing going on back there. Very little, very little traffic or signs of human activity at all. Yeah, it was almost like instant remoteness, you know. And plus, it was nice that we didn't have to load up a vehicle, drive somewhere, leave it parked, and, and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it was just right outside of Coeur d'Alene, and then definitely remote. I mean, definitely no bikes except for the last last day. Um, mostly, you know. Off-road vehicles, some four-wheel drives. Mm. Did you find like what was the interaction with other with other trail traffic? Uses the word traffic as loose as possible. <laughs> I would say always respectful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say generally traveling traveling by bike, people are curious. Yeah, and and around there again, it's it's just less of a common thing. I think so. 
people want to know. People want to want to stop and ask. Want to want to be curious, which I think is a fantastic thing about. Oh yeah, one of the greatest things about biking uh, places that that people really want to want to get into it and figure out what you're up to. Um, it's sort of an icebreaker where you wouldn't otherwise have that. That's, oh, go ahead. It's no different with Northern Idaho. People are generally super friendly and want to want to know what you're up to. Yeah, and I think too. I mean, that you're already out there on a common theme, which is out in the remote national forest. Mm-hmm. Did you um, like in terms of the route because it wasn't super defined? Like, what are your thoughts on uh, like GPS tracking or that type of thing, where you have the button that says "I'm here" if, if something goes downhill, like a spot. Yeah, yeah kind of like a spot beacon. I've because I've like, I've thought about carrying them before, but I'm always like, eh, like someone will find me, or like I don't know. It just seems like kind <laughs> of weird. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I mean, I don't know when they'll find me, but someone will find me. Right. Uh, it, like it's it's one of those like especially because of the backcountry. I ask because it feels like it's one of those you know you see it in biking, you see it in climbing, you see it in all of these um, remote sports. Like I don't think that discussion has fully like settled in one direction yet. So I'm curious what your thoughts are. Um. So app. After I got back, spent a fair amount of time thinking about that, and I actually purchased one. Uh, <laughs> okay. <yeah>. All right. <laughs> so, and the nice thing is, is um, you know, you buy the unit, and then they have subscriptions. Well, I can just wait until, like, spring, summer when, you know, the travel season hits, and then sign up for the subscription. But, yeah, I mean, when... Does that mean we can dot watch you when you're out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. When you can, yeah. So when I'm bushwhacking down the drainage, you can see that I'm not really (laughs) moving. (laughs) Wait, the dot's going backwards now. (laughs) That's right. Hmm. Yeah, I'm all for it. I mean, uh, the the way our trip ended up, it could have got really bad really fast. And I think we ended up being very, very fortunate that things didn't go worse than they did Mm. um so i think having had that i would have felt a little more at ease to just having having a bailout you know push that button and okay i'm i give up you know i I need help um whereas you know there's always that uneasy feeling you know what if something happens um that you know that that might take that away Mm. temper that for to some extent Mm. as far as navigation um how do you feel about it sounds like, and, and I don't know if we actually clarified it, it sounds like you didn't use much GPS as far as navigation. And, and I had a E-Trex okay. 30 we used for GPS, and then we had um, all the the current road, road map for okay. the area. I'm, I'm a big fan of Gaia GPS, so I like to have their layers, different maps loaded in, um, in offline mode, so you can really you know dial that in. I don't know if if you guys are familiar with Gaia, but um, it's a pretty great way to to kind of plan routes and okay. figure that out. Is it a like a cell phone app or it is? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. It's a, a desktop or or mobile app. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought at first when you said Gaia, you're like, I'm a fan of Gaia GPS. You know, you just look at the sun and you <laughs> you see the you see the hills and you're like, oh yeah, Gaia, I got this. <laughs> you meditate for 15 minutes and then uh, get your dowels out. Come to you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I use um, uh, uh, not Gaia, but a similar one that you can cache offline maps. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one, yeah, I, I think like a lot of them use the same um, type of data sets. So like sure. you're, there's a lot of good options out there. Mm-hmm. And that was the interesting thing too, because between all three of those, 
each of them were slightly different as well. Mm. I think that kind of led to our uh, third day's adventure. Oh, really? Well, I think I relied on on an electronic map to the extent that I wasn't... It was foolish, I think, to, to make a long story short. I, I relied on, on what I thought was a trail. It was marked on, on an electronic map, and we just followed it blindly. <laughs> you know, okay, there's, it says there's a trail here. We may as well just start going. It's shorter. Um, became the proverbial car in the lake. Exactly. That's exactly what we did. We drove ourselves into the lake. Um, and I take, and we kept going. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I take well, what else are you going to do, right? You just got to, yeah. eventually it's going to end, right? Well, that's what we thought. Yeah. And eventually it did, but it took us, uh, you know, a full day, eight hours oh, of slogging yeah. uh, to go, what, six miles? At most. Um. So, oh man, it, it was it was brutal, um, and that was only because I thought I saw a single track leading down a certain way. I, we discussed it beforehand, saying, you know, if this is indeed a trail, should we go for it and try and get down the hill quicker? Because uh, we were out of water, and uh, you know, this looks like a quicker way to go. And it's um, easy to like make a panic decision when well, you know you're like out of something. Yeah, yeah. we were, yeah. you know, needing water. Um, and that's never a fun place to be. So I think that sort of dictates the direction you're going to go. Um, and it, it just turned out to be the wrong choice. Um, and it wouldn't have been the wrong choice had that electronic map not been in my face. Um, <laughs> you think you would have chosen otherwise? So I think enticing. I would have, yeah. yeah. Mm. Not to blame the electronic maps because I rely on them, but um, I think there's a, a point at which you have to you know use your common sense, and maybe I didn't quite do that that time. Yeah. Yeah, couldn't have been anything to do with ignoring all the deadfall we <laughs> carried the bikes over to start with. Well, and I can imagine, too, like, if you're thinking about riding on paved roadways, uh, you know, going down the wrong hill is as simple as turning around and riding back up. Sure. Uh, but if you go down the wrong bush bushwhack, you end up at the bottom of whatever you, you know, came yeah, down yeah, from. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think like the penalty for having to backtrack in backcountry is particularly steep. Agreed. And that I think that was a a point that we got to as well halfway through the bushwhack and okay uh you know on the map at least it looks like we're halfway through this slog and you know it's getting worse and worse should we turn around and we opted not to um i don't know if that was the right decision or not yeah i don't know but because because we did a lot several hours we'd already bushwhacked and so we knew what was waiting behind us right mm-hmm. was the logs and lifting and and pushing and and finding Surely the trail it can't be any worse than this. <laughs> right <laughs> well and we were at a point where we were on a pseudo looked like an old road that had overgrown and we were at that point where we kept looking at the map and we'd been on this trail for a while and we hadn't lost elevation because we knew we had to go down to where the river was but we weren't losing elevation and so that's were you where, still gaining or were you like Pretty much level About the level. Yeah, okay. we were just on a yeah. ridiculous traverse around yeah. northern Idaho. And so our option was to keep going, but we didn't know if that mm. was just going to stay at the same elevation or actually get us down to the river. Okay. And so Eric looked ahead, and we knew we needed water. And uh, so that's when we picked the drainage over the pseudo-trail. Gotcha. And that sort of let it out from there? Yeah. Eventually. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So that, um, that was even slower going than <laughs> what we were doing. Yeah. Well, and it's tricky too because you don't want to like stash the bikes and who knows if you could ever find those again kind of deal. Uh, well, that's we had gotten to that point already. Had ditched the bikes and gone on a little scouting mission thinking oh, okay. with our water bottles and a little bit of food thinking, you know, anything's oh, got to yeah. be better than if pushing If you can just refill bikes. your bottles and right. you if, can come if back. If we and, could just take care of the water problem. Yeah. But we walked for... You know, long enough to know there just wasn't anything. Mm. We, you know, we checked a couple of little drainages where normally there would be a little stream, creek, you know, spring, something, nothing. It was totally dry. Yeah, that's the the, the flip side of September, October. Sure. <laughs> dry as a bone out there for sure. Yeah. So looking back on that experience, um, you know, you brought your collective knowledge and wisdom into it. Uh, what did you get out of that and what, what might you think about um, and improve or, or do differently if you had an adventure uh, yet to come? Try and figure out how to spot a wasp nest <laughs> before Ooh. you fall into it. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. uh, that's That would be a good one. Was it ground wasps? They were in a log that we climbed over. Oh, okay. And uh, yeah, they got me good. Oh, got me good. You had a real adventure out there. Yeah, uh, we had everything out there. <laughs> this was this was near the end, and we had both, you know, been defeated, and we were just at our at our end. I mean, there were tears and screaming and crying and 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 frustration, and it had gotten to the point where where it was almost dangerous. We were yeah. so dehydrated and just, just at the end, you know, um, and then I. And I fall into wasps. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have to we have to get this story for the Coeur d'Alene tourism bureau. Get wasps. <laughs> yeah. Maybe See that's why the there's nobody else out in the woods. <laughs> How about you, Paula? But um, no, I I think it's sort of kind of looking at all of our. Um, I guess, map sources and going, how do we reconcile since they're all different? Um, and probably being paying attention a bit more and questioning if, if we're hitting this amount of deadfall, what's the likelihood we'll keep hitting it? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, the other thing we talked about is I actually had my drone, so we could have flew the drone for a little bit of scouting. Oh, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, totally. <laughs> That's a really, yeah, wouldn't think of doing that. So, but yeah, I think it's just, you know, really, really, because it's so wild and untamed and unknown yet that um, really have to alter what we're used to in terms of when we go bikepacking and we've, we know particular routes and things like White Rim Trail and such that when we go out there, it, it's wild and, and pretty much undiscovered. And so just being more aware of just the unknown as much as possible. Yeah, it really is sort of rolling the dice, but that's the appeal of it. If if it was completely tamed and mapped out and we knew what was around every corner, it wouldn't have that excitement that I think we all crave as as bike packers. What what's around that corner? Um and in in this case, you know, we rolled the dice and it didn't quite work out for one one of the 5 days, but the rest of the time was phenomenal. <clears throat> we had yeah. beautiful scenery and and nice oh, people sure. and and camaraderie around the campfire and you know most of that trip was just fantastic um just that one part that could have ended badly and and it didn't so again yeah feel, you're here to tell it we're here right. to tell it yeah <laughs> yeah and i you know i wouldn't change anything i guess um 
I might be a little wiser next time, maybe fly the drone, maybe, you know, make some different choices, but in the Bring end... Bring an extra meal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nah, bike packing. <laughs> yeah. Save that weight. Mm. No, I think that, yeah, I mean, th- that's part of the adventure is you don't know, especially because we left it pretty open, and I think it, it's... Um, it helps us in terms of I certainly know my limits better than I did before in terms of the real tough situation. Yeah. And, you know, and I think we learned that um, we are pretty good together on these trips and kind of cooperate and help each other um, with different strengths and weaknesses. Um, Eric did a huge amount of the lifting because I lost it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's the downside of the heavy Wednesday, by the way. <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, there was one part where I pushed it through these two trees and didn't see this uh, probably foot-long broken stump. And I got the bike stuck on it. I couldn't lift it. I couldn't oh, go no. back. I couldn't go forward. Um, and and so that really took the wind out of me yeah. and had to sit there and wait for Eric to come back and <laughs> lift it off. <laughs> But, um, no, I, I think it really helped that, you know, kind of helped each other. We got to a sketchy section that was like 12 inches wide that we had to push the bikes across, or it was a 20-some foot drop down to the river. Mm. How are we going to do this? And, um, and, and through this, we hadn't figured out how we were going to cross the river because the road we needed was on the other side of where we were going to come down. I think we had just assumed at some point we'd be swimming. Um, yeah. You just overinflate your tires. And right. Go to crash. Bikes, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Instead of compressing, we'll get as much air as possible into right. the dry bags. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I bet you totally could. <laughs> Probably. Push come to shove. Maybe, maybe that'll be next trip. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pat grafting the hard way. <laughs> well, Paula and Eric, thank you so much for taking sure, the time yeah. to chat with us You're this welcome. evening. Thanks for it's having us. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, would you like to hang out for our news and headlines? Sure. sure, of course. One last thing before we move on, and that is, this is obviously like a more expert type adventure. Um, what advice would you give to people who are just starting out, like thinking about like bike packing? To just do it. Just, just, just do get it. Get out there. Don't don't be afraid of it. Yeah. You know, the, sure, there's danger and fear and everything you do, but um, don't let that hold you back. Yeah. You know, just get out there and do it. It's a wonderful world. It's a big place. Go find it. Yeah. And there's certainly, um, you know, routes that are along those roads or places like the Chute Trail and things like that that you can So just biking out down. of Coeur d'Alene doesn't automatically mean you're going to be bushwhacking. But, I mean, if we stayed strictly to the roads, we, you know, it would have been fine, too. Sure. Right on. Thank you. Thanks. I love, I love, I love, I love don't don't ever use that. Tim Mooney. This is not the first time this year we're hearing him. Second time. Second time this year. Let's aim for 52. Speaking of the second time, the second Thursday of every month is the Joyful Riders Club in Minneapolis. The first Friday of every month is the San Francisco Bike Party. The second Friday of every month, the Boston Bike Party. Also the second Friday of every month, the Indianapolis Bike Party. Also 
also the second Friday of every month, the East Bay Bike Party. And the third Friday of every month is the San Jose Bike Party. The last Friday of every month is the Baltimore Bike Party. And first Saturday of every month right here in Portland is the Civil Unrest Ride. And every second Sunday of every month here in Portland is the Corvidai Bike Club Ride. Ca-ca! That was fun. Let's do it again. <laughs> And the last Sunday of every month is the Vintage and Classic Ride in Huntsville, Alabama. And upcoming Filmed by Bike tour dates, Boise, Idaho, January 17th, L.A., California, February 9th, Seattle, Washington, February 28th, Idaho Falls, Idaho, March 5th, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, March 22nd. What can compare with the thrill of a brand new bike? The 2020 Chevy Silverado HD seen as advertised during this NFL football game seems specially designed to make people in front of this wall of truck invisible. Uh, it's more it's a male headline. Uh, M A I L. Uh, pick dash Twitter. Uh, I have Twitter blocked on my machine, but I'm assuming it's a huge freaking truck grill. It is uh, sent in by oh, Brock Didis. You won't you won't get that there. Yeah, this is true. Um, Aaron is looking up the photo, so we will critique it and judge it for its light we will give it use all of composition the and uh, photo quality shortly. Uh, but in between then and now, the Get Up and Go, uh, there is a no bus fare, or it says no bus fare needed anymore in this northwest capital city. And by capital, they are not referring to Salem, they are referring to Olympia, Washington, oh. uh, where the city's interagency transit on Wednesday, became the largest Pacific Northwest uh, city to eliminate fare collection, leapfrogging Corvallis and Missoula, uh, which have done so earlier. Uh, Portland, your turn is up. Uh, yeah, so inner city, <laughs> yes. inner city transit, uh, free and accessible, is a good thing to hear. And there, yeah, I know it's a thing that Portland has been sort of bandying about. It's true. It has uh, it's even brought up in more our often. current administration here in portland um which you know it i don't i don't mm. have a a i will try not to state an opinion too much one way or another well i don't want to sway anybody <laughs> but um i still find it surprising that it's even even now um being discussed and i can imagine like whoever takes the reins whether it be the status quo or not, mm-hmm. um, it's going to be even further up front in the conversation. Yeah. That's of, what I was trying to say. In kind of like a 30-year, uh, you know, barrel, you you have to lose Fairless Square to get Fairless Portland at, you know, some point in time. <laughs> uh, they say in a 2012 report on fare-free transit, a researcher hired by the National Academy of Sciences found seniors and Hispanic work- service workers were most negatively affected by the introduction of bus fares on link transit. The report identified a few silver linings, such as a decrease in complaints about gang-like and homeless passengers and a significant reduction in vandalism. It seems unlikely that the region's biggest transit agencies will go fare-free, fare anytime soon, since in 2011 the King County Metro Transit and County Council have set and met a fare box recovery minimum target of 25%, which means the Seattle-based agency cannot eliminate bus fares without finding a major source of revenue. Um, of then, new revenue. Of new revenue. Thank you. Uh, in 1998, then-Mayor Vera Katz proposed making the area's transit system fareless. A work group collected by the city examined whether a regional parking tax could be used to transition TriMet to fareless operation. 
The work group's final report concluded that more modest steps to increase employer subsidies of transit passes would be more realistic in the near term. So how about those steps to increase employer yeah. uh, subsidies? We've, we've had a few mirrors at this point. Let's get on <laughs> it. Uh, so thank you to KUOW for that article. Yeah. Here is here is a Chevy Ooh. Silverado. A it's silver very... Silverado. Whoops. You're going nice. to have to flip it again. Yeah. It's a very it, big... It does seem like it would be difficult to see over the top of that. Yeah. It's a very large truck. Maybe they should include crossover mirrors up front. What like are crossover mirrors? Oh, I'm sorry. That's okay. Yes. <laughs> Is it a bus term? <laughs> Is it the it's, little the circular one? Those are the circular ones in front of uh, school buses. That would be make funny. Make sure you don't run over children. If you didn't ban large grills or on trucks, you could mandate crossover mirrors yeah. and then nobody would get large grilled trucks because who wants the crossover who mirrors bunch of nerds that's who. <laughs> that's right i think we found our solution uh no mail for this week uh so just like to thank our guests once again uh for coming on tonight uh any shout outs or special um requests before we go off air you any can tell us your wishes. instagrams accounts or or whatever you'd like to quarter bike co <laughs> <laughs> All right. Shall we? Yeah. The Sprocket Podcast is produced at StreamPDX Community Audio Studio, thanks to the generous support of Open Signal. Our website is thesprocketpodcast.com. Email to thesprocketpodcast at gmail.com. Call or text to 503-847-9774. Twitter and the Instagrams at Sprocket Podcast. Thanks to Ryan J. Lane for our theme music. Kurt Bird for our headlines sounder. Marcus Norman for graphic design. And thanks to our sustaining donors, Shadowfoot, Wayne Norman, Eric Iverson. Cameron Lean, Richard Wazinski, Tim Mooney, Glenn Kubish, Matt Kelly, Eric Weitz, Todd Parker, Dan Gebhardt, who's, who's a, a time, time traveler, traveler, Dave Knows, Chris Smith, Caleb Jenkinson, JP Cooley, Peanut Butter Jar Matt, Marco Lowe, Rich Otterstrom, Andrew in Colorado, Drew the Welder, Anna, Hey, I'll be home soon, Andre Johnson, King of Division, Richard G, Guthrie Straw, who's sitting right next to me, Hi, Aaron Green, an author of We Were Like Sons and founder of The Refrainer. Campsite, Mac Nurse David, Nathan Fulton. Rory in Michigan, Michael Forney. Jeremy Kitchen, David Belay, Tim Coleman. Harry Hugel, EJ Finneran, Brad Hipwell. Thomas Cato, Keith Hutchinson, Ranger Tom. Joyce Wilson, Ryan Tan. Jason Oftenberg, Microcosm Publishing, David Moore. Todd Grosbeck, Chris Barron. Chris, Chris Barron. Chris Barron. Sean Baird, Simon Gregory Braithwaite, Ryan Morrow, Jude Luna, Matthew Rose, Marshall, Paula at Punitaki, Cyclecraft, what? Oh, hey, hey oh she's my right goodness. here. Hi, Paula. I know that person. <laughs> Ryan Morrow, no wait, I already said that. Philip M, Spartan Dale, no relation. Mr. T, who never really left, Bike Initiative, Kiwana, Sarah G. Adam D, Go Dig a Hole, Beth Hammond. Greg Murphy and newest donor Myra Martinez and all of our former donors who helped us get this far now brush our teeth and go to bed <laughs>